Welcome to the Mindfulness Academy podcast. I'm your host, Amy Morgan. And on today's show, we have Anna Heine. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Anna. Anna Heine is the co-founder and senior vice president of operations at DreamFuel, a mental performance coaching company that trains executives, leaders, and hyper-growth sales teams to consistently thrive under pressure by using neuroscience-backed mindset practices. Anna graduated from the University of Notre Dame with a Bachelor of Arts in Neuroscience and Behavior and a Master's of Science in Business Management. She competed in cross-country and track and field for the University of Notre Dame and ended her collegiate career as an eight-time All-American. Anna continued her running career post-collegiately, competing professionally for the Boston Athletic Association prior to joining DreamFuel. Anna loves inspiring young athletes and business professionals with the mental performance practices that helped her through the victories and challenges that come with elite competition and empowering them to live out their dreams. Anna lives in Indianapolis with her husband, Nick, and enjoys traveling, cooking, anything outdoors, and of course, quite a bit of running. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thanks, Amy. I'm glad to be here. Me too. I'm glad I'm glad that you are on the show today and I'm excited for a conversation. So we're going to hop right in. Um, I was trying to think of how we first connected. I'm assuming it's through Kevin Bailey. I've been following his work for a long time, trying to get him on the show. Maybe he'll be here before <laughs> too long. We've been talking for a long time, but he said he's been talking you up for a very long time and just saying, oh, I think you should talk with Anna. I think you should talk with Anna. Talk with Anna first. Let's talk with <laughs> Anna. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. And I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about mindset. And you have just such an impressive background. I think folks are going to glean a lot of useful information from our, our time together. So I think that was it though, right? It was Kevin. It had to have been through Kevin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he's, um, he has his degree now too in neuroscience, right? Almost. He's uh, almost done with his master's in neuroscience. Yes. Impressive. Impressive. I love that. Um, and I didn't realize about your business background. That was one part of your story that I didn't realize. So you are very well situated to be helping with this company. Now you, did you co-found DreamFuel? I did. Yes. Yep. I came in as, as full-time employee number two. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Okay. So when did you guys get started? Um, DreamFuel started back in 2018. Um, Kevin was doing it kind of ad hoc on his own for for several years and then paused for a little bit to help uh, another friend get his business up and running and then got pulled back into it and you know really realized this was this was his passion this was the business that he was called to build and then I came in in 2020 and that was when we really started to intentionally grow and scale. Excellent. Now you were a high performance athlete. Um, but I, before we get into all of that, I want to step back a little bit. Cause that's the, I mean, definitely a big, bright, shining star of your career thus far is being, um, an eight time all American. Uh, I want to hear a lot more about that. That sounds really impressive, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about your background. Um, I like to hear a little bit about where, where folks grew up, you know, what's your, where'd you come mm-hmm. from? What's your, what's your educational background in a little more depth? Um, talk about that neuroscience degree from Notre Dame and how, I don't even know how long that's been around. So anyway, thousand questions. I'll let you. Just 
Yeah, yeah, happy to share. Um, so I I grew up in Mishawaka, Indiana, which is up right by South Bend, right by Notre Dame. And I have two older brothers, uh, so I, I accredit them to a lot, really, now I've gotten older and realizing, man, just how beneficial it was to be the youngest and having two brothers, it uh, helps me hold my own. <laughs> um, but I, I always feel it's necessary to include whenever I'm talking about mindset, talking about my experiences and just life and how, you know, how I grew up. I really started getting into understanding the importance of mental performance and, and in practicing it and controlling it through my high school cross country coach. So when I was, would have been 14, um, I was 14 and very day before our very first cross country meet in high school, he had us all come together into the, the wrestling room at the school and he guided us through progressive muscle relaxation and visualization. And I had, I didn't know anything about it, um, but you know, I liked running and I wanted to be as good as I could. I had a lot of performance anxieties and challenges that most people face, uh, most young athletes face. And I just bought into that so quickly because I, I didn't understand it. And then when I showed up the next day, and raced and I noticed like, wow, something happened here. I'm not as nervous. I feel more confident. Um, it was like, I knew what was going to happen. And so from there on out, it, it helped escalate my performance. Um, but it just helped me in so many other ways and helped me understand this mind body connection and, um, just how it could help me achieve these goals that other people would have thought weren't possible. Um, so I, I dove deep into mindset. I learned a lot through my coach and then learned a lot on my own. Um, so honestly, some through just trial and error. I had some pretty big, pretty big injuries in high school that also challenged me mentally. And I, I broke both of my feet and was in a wheelchair for, for like six weeks and, uh, which six weeks doesn't seem like that, that long of a time, but when you're 16 years old and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to be in a wheelchair for six weeks at school. It's like, it's pretty tough. Um, and so those are, those are pieces I want to include because they really helped form me as a person, but also form my passion around mental performance and around working with people who have high aspirations, but inevitably face stress and challenges and, um, you know, the victories and the trials and all that. So, so that was kind of how I got my foundation and then, um, was very grateful to get to run at Notre Dame. I thought I was going to go further away from home for college. It, it wasn't the intent to stay so close, but it just so happened that Notre Dame was absolutely the best fit for, for me. And, uh, so it, it was neat. It was neat to, you know, stay close. I didn't, st I wouldn't say I went home all the time or anything. <laughs> I definitely did not go home all the time as a kid. Um, but it was nice to be able to have family at a lot of my races. Um, and I chose neuroscience because my dad is a neuropsychologist and it was so fascinating to me every time we talk about the human brain and the people he worked with. And I just wanted to know more and to understand my brain and my body. Um, so I decided on the neuroscience degree and, um, it, 
it helped, it turned out to help me quite a bit in my running as well, because I, I was learning about the body and at the same time taking a lot of psychology classes, learning about the mind and my own, my own thoughts and getting, getting to understand how other people think while at the same time, how I think and how I act and, um, developing as a leader on the team. Um, so it really all played together so well. And it was really hard, uh, very difficult. I'll say that, but it just hands down, just so worth it. Well, that is amazing. What a story. I'm always curious if folks who live near Notre Dame just feel called to it like a magnet, you know, and they're always just hoping to go there. It sounds like yours is a little bit of the opposite direction. Like, oh, maybe I'll go to some corner of the United States elsewhere than near South Bend. Um, but interesting how it pulled you in. Um, my husband is a Notre Dame grad, so and and he's from you know another part of Indiana. So I was just curious what drew you there. So um, I want to hear more about being an All American. So for for our listeners who don't understand what it means to be a one time All American, uh, let alone an eight time, unpack that for us. What does that mean? What does that entail? Yeah. Being an All-American, at least in track and cross country, I know it varies a little bit depending on the sport, um, but for track and cross country, it means you are top uh, top 10 in the nation at the national championship. For cross country, I believe they pan out to top 40 um, is, the te- is the technical All-American, um, but then anything on the track is going to be actually top nine. Sorry, I misspoke there. Um, so yes, top nine or top 40 in the country at the national meet. So where were your meets held? Can you give us a picture there? Yeah. Cross country, um, the (laughs) cross country nationals are always the middle of November. It now they don't always hold them in the Midwest, but when I was, when I was at Notre Dame, the five years I was there, they were either in Terre Haute, Indiana, um, there's a hidden gem, a, a world-class cross-country course in the middle of Terre Haute. Who knew? What's it called? Um, it, Laverne Gibson. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I love it, but I, I love it because I have great memories there. <laughs> um, and then the other years was at uh, University of Wisconsin. So they picked warm locations for November. Yep. I'm I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it snowed for, for a couple national meets and it's like below 20, 20 degrees or below, I think for a couple. So it definitely, definitely keeps you tough. It's a good, good mindset <laughs> challenge. Um, so that was cross country track. Um, I raced in for indoor nationals. I did one in, uh, Birmingham and then usually outdoor nationals now rotates between Eugene, Oregon and Austin, Texas. Okay. Very different climates going on there. Okay. Very different. <laughs> um, I'm curious about which races you were in for track. For track, I did outdoors was primarily the, primarily the 10K. That was what I would race at nationals, but I'd race, I'd race the 5K throughout the season as well. And we have indoor track too. The the Distances are a little bit different. So 5K is the longest you can do indoor, uh, which is really for the best. I don't think many people want to ride a 10K indoors. 
Um, uh, but they also have the 3K and then the mile. So I do dabble in those a little bit as well. Okay, so I have two questions around these. So I'm going to geek out on the running front for just a minute. I'm curious about if there was um, a mindful preparation that really served you well as you were going into any of those races. Um, and I'm also curious which time you are most proud of from all of those mm. races. Yeah, great question. Um, it, this does come up when I coach teams quite a bit. So I do have a story that I like to share that's top of mind. It was my my sophomore year of college for for indoor nationals. Um, in order to qualify for nationals for indoor track, you have to be ranked in the top 16 across the country. There's not like one qualifying race. It's just you run this time throughout the season. If you're in the top 16, you get to go. And I was just coming off of cross country season in the fall um, where I got I got third at nationals. It was like, a, it was a, it was a really close one. One of my favorite races, um, ultimately ended up getting third by a few seconds. And so going into it, everyone thought, you know, I'd be in contention for this 5k I'm pr could, could win it. And I thought that too. Um, but the season was getting away and getting away and I just wasn't hitting these times. I, some of it was, a uh, just opportunity wise, what races, my coach took me to, or, or we didn't go to, um, and came down to, I, I wanted to get away a little bit from South Bend as well. It's, it's a tough place to be for, for a long winter. And we host a lot of indoor meets. And so I just, I just wasn't excited about it. It was just the training a lot, doing a lot of workouts on my own and just kind of grinding through it. I lost the joy and the, the heart of it. So we decided to go to Clemson to, for this one race. And ultimately like it, it was one of the worst, probably the worst race I've ever run in my life. It's uh, I was supposed to have someone to kind of help pace me through it. And that fell through really quickly. Um, I, it was, a, it's a 200 meter track. And so I had to start kind of lapping people throughout. So I was running in lane two and then they would move to lane two and, so I'm just swerving in and out of people and I start getting so frustrated as like, I flew all the way here. I'm trying to have a good race and all these things are going wrong. Uh, my team started like leaving during the race for it. A, that's a whole nother piece of the story. Um, and so I was getting so frustrated and lap after lap, I could tell I was slowing down. I couldn't breathe well. Um, I just was angry and wanted to be done. Um, to top it off, I cross the finish line and I look at the clock and I'm like, they miscounted my laps. I got to get back on the track and run another lap. <laughs> um, and so needless to say, I was, I was pretty upset after this race and I had one last chance to hit this time or else I wouldn't even get to go to nationals. So I had, I think a week, maybe two weeks before our conference meet and what I did during that time was I first just paused to reflect on why am I in such a funk right now that I'm not enjoying this and what can I do between now and then to get out of it. And a big piece of it was just the excitement. I had lost sight of really what I was shooting for. I was just going through those motions of practice and not thinking about like, hey, I can win a national championship. This is awesome. Um, and so what I did between that, that race and the next was I, um, 
did some visualization and I really thought about why I was so excited for this next race. Why is it, why is this a great opportunity? Um, I, and it happened to be at Notre Dame. Our conference meet was at home. So my, my dorm friends could come, my family could come. Um, it's like, it's really special to be able to host a conference meet in college. So, so I would just focus on this excitement and in reminding myself of the fact that I knew I was capable of it. I knew I was in good shape. I just needed the right race. And so I, I did so much of that mental prep going into this next race. And, um, it's roughly two weeks later, I ran like 45 seconds faster for a 5k, um, with, yeah, yeah. And so, so 45 seconds for, for a collegiate 5k is quite a bit of time. I mean, that's a lap and a half on the track. Um, so I would have lapped myself during in the, the previous weeks and, it wasn't anything to do with my fitness. It was kind of a complete mental game that, that went on there. And so it pulled a lot from that to use in the future. Um, but that definitely goes down as one of my favorite races. It was also on my birthday. I set a PR. It was, there were a lot of good things working for me that day. <laughs> That's a really cool story. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned your coach when you were 14, where did you go to high school? Oh yes. I went to Mishawaka high school. Okay. And why running? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good one. I really got into it because my middle school gym teacher talked me into it. I, I was a swimmer and a volleyball player for, if I had to like pick sports before that. And, and I was okay. I was pretty good at swimming. I'd say if I kept with that, I think I would have done really well. Um, but I didn't really get hand, great hand-eye coordination until I was about 12. So leading up to that, it was like, I was really struggling to be average in most sports. Um, uh, luckily that changed, but, um, leading into that, I, I started running a little bit with a friend going into seventh grades. So we were, we were both going to try out for the volleyball team. And so we started running a few days a week together. And when we got to the physical fitness testing and gym class, I could just like run the mile so easily and, and do all those other like endurance pieces. And so my teacher pulled me aside and said, like, I don't know how good you are at volleyball, but you might want to consider going out for track and cross country. So I went out for that and it was, it was so natural in comparison to the other sports that I tried. It wasn't, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like the same level of effort I had to put in to be average. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, uh, have to thank my middle school teacher for that one. That's amazing. What sticks with us from our early days. And I'm glad that you had those experience, those experiences. Um, so you are, let's, let's jump from that a little bit into your work at dream fuel. Um, you are the co-founder along with Kevin, right? Mm -hmm. You guys are the, the two folks at the top there. Would you tell us a little bit about what Dream Fuel is all about? Yeah. Dream Fuel is a, a mental performance coaching company. And at the heart of it, the reason we're named Dream Fuel is because our aspiration as a company is to help people achieve the dreams they have for themselves. 
And if you want to achieve that, there's a lot of mental barriers to overcome. There's a lot of short-term goals to achieve. And so we, we come in we work with a lot of sales teams, executives, leaders, and we uncover what those mental barriers are. Uh, we first uncover what's the dream, what's, uh, you know, what's your, really your vision for yourself. And then we do everything that we can to help them get there. And so sometimes those, it, it might look like um, first we really need to fix their ability to focus. We really need to maybe change their inner dialogue that they have. Um, we need to get them excited of uh, rallying their team around a big goal. And so there's a lot of different routes to get there, but really at the heart of it is we want people to be able to see, like believe in what they, they want to do. And then we help them see the path to get there. Okay. So as you were talking, I'm wondering, let's say you start working with, um, the leader of a software startup that feels like that would be kind of a natural fit for you guys, given Kevin's background in particular. If the leader comes to you and says, Hey, Anna, um, I've been working 80 hour weeks. I'm fried. My team is fried. We all have dark circles under our eyes. We've all been gaining 15, 20 pounds. We're all just kind of miserable. I think that it needs to start with me as the leader to kind of model some things. Um, could we work on, you know, some of these symptoms of burnout and, and rallying folks around the things that matter? Obviously, there's going to be some goals around probably some sales. I know that's a lot of mm -hmm. what you do. But I'm also wondering if if you cast, if you include letting them cast kind of a, a broader vision where they can say, I also want to be someone who has a daily mindfulness practice, who has a daily exercise routine, who, you know, eats a certain way that fuels me for what I need to do. Does it encompass more than just the sales and does it go into even kind of a health and wellness portion? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It's, I mean, you're not going to perform well when you're not sleeping well or your, your mind is tired, your body is tired there's so many things that play into our outcomes and it's tempting to put your head down and keep grinding and grinding. But it's, uh, I compare this also to, to athletics. Like you, you can, if you continue to only work hard and not recover, you get burned out, you get injured. And in the business place, like you see that injury in the company or in the people you work with. So it's, it's definitely a, a, um, holistic approach. I would say we got to, your mind, your thoughts, your, your emotions, your feelings, they stem from your physiology. And if your body's off, you're not able to take care of yourself in that way, or, or even just, you know, maybe you sleep great and you eat great, but you're anxious all the time. Um, you know, we, we focus on working with the physiology oftentimes first in order to impact the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts, the behaviors. Okay. So what are some of the common reasons that folks come to you? A lot that you just mentioned, um, the burnout, um, wanting to make changes, 
in their life, recognizing they, they've got these different buckets of time commitments and one bucket is really, really full and the other's almost empty. And, it, but it is also really tied to, they've, they've got very high aspirations and anyone who, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you're the best coach. Uh, oftentimes you have a coach yourself or you've, you've learned from people. You're always trying to gather Absolutely. information. And so we find that as well with high performers is that they recognize that they've got this big goal and they, they don't want to do it alone or they, they could use some help, but just pulling on all their resources to, to get to it. Um, But typically, you know, we don't work with anyone that's not under some type of strain or stress and can be positive stress, of course, but um typically people come because there's something that they would like to make a change in while at the same time working really hard towards a professional goal. So what are some of the outcomes that, that folks see when they work with you? Mm. Some of the top ones, I would say one of my, my favorites to hear, uh, uh, yeah, really my favorite to hear is the the ability to be present with others, present in, with those they work with and listening, of course, but really present at home, being able to turn their mind off from work and and be with their be with their partner, their spouse, their kids, um, their friends, and and like really be able to live that bucket of life, and and in turn that also is going to really lower stress and anxiety. Oftentimes people are sleeping better because we, we learn how to turn the mind off, learn how to, I guess you could say compartmentalize, but really being able to prioritize what's, uh, prioritize the present moment. And a lot of that is really tied to mindfulness and focus, which I is, uh, incredibly fitting of course, but another big piece is building sustainable habits. So we talk a lot about the sustainable habits in, in a mindset practice and, you know, the, the sleep, the exercise, journaling, meditation, et cetera. Um, but also just how do you form sustainable habits in, in anything you want to do? That's a really big one that we focus on as well that I think feeds into so many of the, of the other outcomes that people experience. What is, what is one of the main tips. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for in building sustainable habits or maybe some guidelines that you might use with folks, because that is, that's a big one, you know, I, it's I hard. mean, because it's breaking down those goals into what are the just itty bitty little nuggets that, that, that stack up to get you where you want to go. Aligning all of those is really powerful and sustaining the energy and the focus and the determination over time is huge. So I'm wondering yes, what sorts of guidelines you might give folks. Yeah. Well, the first one is why do you want to do it? That's bare bones. You have to have a good reason that you really care about in order to really get into action. And from there, once they understand, and I also understand as their coach, why they care about forming this, then we start to break it down a little bit more because like I said, we, 
typically work with very high performers, very competitive individuals. And the temptation can be to define what it is. Here's what I want to do in like 100 miles an hour. Let's run into it and do everything now. And and that's where things don't don't um, become sustainable. So I talk about breaking it down, like let's ease into it and really work with your physiology and with your mind to make it easy to form because it's, it has to be simple. It has to be easy because that's just the human brain loves to stay in its comfort zone. And anytime you try to get out of it, you're going to have pushback. Everybody does, even the most disciplined people, um, we just work to lower that activation energy to get into action. And then you get used to it, you get comfortable and you start adding and adding. So we define where they wanna be and why they care about it and then break it down to start with it. It's it's simple, um, it's, it's easy to remember, it's easily accessible. It, you want to do it. It's something that's, you know, maybe if you uh, start by giving yourself a reward, you have something enticing to get you going. And then over time that can, that can drop. Um, but another, just one additional tip that not, not many people know is it, it's also very advantageous to work on a new habit earlier in the day because our, our brains our our body has more dopamine in it earlier in the day, which means that we feel more alert. It's typically easier to take action and do something hard versus later in the day, we're more serotonin based, tend to be more calm and relaxed. And so that activation energy is going to be a little bit higher. So I also work with people to say like, let's block your calendar. What's a reasonable time that you could do this and maybe make it earlier in the day if we can as well. So those are just a few of the tips. That's wonderful. I'd never heard about the morning habits. I mean, that specifically, I know that for me, if I'm going to stick with something, it had better be earlier in the morning or it's just not going to happen yeah. because I, I visualize most of my days as once I'm done with my morning practice, I, I visualize essentially jumping into sometimes kind of a raging river, you know, there's just a lot of work, a lot of emails to get back to and all kinds of, you know, getting back to folks on our project management software and emails and texts, and it's coming at me. And I know as soon as I get off my mat, get off my meditation cushion, I'm diving in, you know, and it's hard to kind of come back out of it. So if I don't take care of it first in the day, that and then home life, you know, kind of takes over. So, um, I'm sure there's a better visualization for my day that you could probably tell. Me. <laughs> I keep feeling that way. It's, it's kind of felt like that way for a while, but, um, I'm curious what led you, I'm sure there are a lot of avenues that you could have taken with your background. I'm wondering what led you to co-found the company? Oh, that is a, a wonderful question. Um, interesting story. <laughs> it's um, ultimately, in my my opinion, divine intervention is what what uh, led me. But I I was out running professionally in Boston and ended up I intentionally ended my contract early due to injury and and a variety of circumstances. But it was it was earlier than anticipated. I knew you know eventually I'm going to enter the workforce in a 
non-professional running capacity. And so I'd had some ideas, but it definitely came faster than I anticipated. And so once I was back in Indiana, I connected with a a cousin of mine, one of those, one of those cousins, or I guess one of those people that knows everyone, very connected, very personal, um, always willing to help. And he, I, I just reached out to him and said, Hey, I, I'm just wanting to make connections because there's so many opportunities out there and I want a job that ties together science and business. I love the science. It's fascinating to me, but business is a lot more intuitive. And so I was just open to opportunities. I started having conversations with people in, um, I guess, different, different industries, but just different, different professions that were connected to science and business. Um, ultimately had a conversation with um, Nick Tipman. He worked at, was at Greenlight Guru at the time. And he's, he's helped dream fuel so much helped Greenlight. He's now um, working on his own and we were just having a conversation, you know, he's explaining what he likes about his role. And um, during that conversation, he said, you know, after I shared quite a bit about myself and, and his own story, he said, you should talk to this guy, Kevin Bailey. He, uh, he works with us quite a bit. And, you know, I think you guys would really, could really connect well. So I, you know, research Kevin, get on LinkedIn and, and I'm just thinking, man, this, this is like my dream job. This is so cool what he does. <clears throat> I've been coaching athletes like this, but this is a, a bigger scale and just so in alignment with my strengths and what I care about. So I talked to Kevin and um, is maybe 30, 45 minutes in the conversation. He said, hey, you want to know more about the position we're hiring for? Um, so I, I actually didn't see anything about him hiring when I was looking it up. So, um, it was, I was interviewing other places as well, but ultimately it was when I got the offer from Kevin, it was very clear that this was where I was supposed to be. Super neat. I would love to hear a little bit more about your approach and how you help clients. It sounds like um, and maybe we've already unearthed quite a bit of that, but maybe there's a little bit more to talk about. I know that you're you're really concerned, it seems like at the beginning with the physiology, making sure that folks are eating well, sleeping well, breathing well, being having potentially mindfulness practices baked into their routines to help them self, self-regulate and focus. Um, and we'll get more into some of that in a moment. Um, but yeah, I'm curious a little bit more about the approach, what folks could expect. Mm-hmm. We, we always start by defining, defining the, the short-term goals or medium-term goals, as well as that, that dream or that vision for themselves. So that's, again, that's ultimately where we're trying to get them. But then we zoom back in to the short-term to, you know, kind of chip away at, at what's going to help them get there. And this is part of our, our, dem, our sales process now, but it's also what we do with any early on client is we guide them through a visualization about that, achieving that dream. What does life look like when you're there and tying in the, the goals that go into it, focusing on how they want their life to be, how they feel, um, 
what actions they're taking, what challenges they've overcome and get them to really feel that. Cause if, if you've ever been guided in visualization or, you know, if you haven't, maybe you've done it on your own, but it is a, it's a very powerful technique that works with, with the mind. It works with neuroplasticity to ultimately create, like activate this pathway in the brain. You like, when you actually feel it there and it helps you then reason it can help achieve goals is it gets you motivated, right? Of course, but it also helps you see some of those steps along the way. The brain has a filter in it, a reticular activating system. You don't have to remember that, but uh, it's got this filter that helps you then start to pay attention to the things that are relevant to you and your, your conscious mind. Um, and so visualization helps achieve goals, but it's so such an emotive experience that we do early on with our clients to really get them to feel that this is possible. This is a real outcome that I am going to achieve. And it's a great way to start the coaching experience, um, understand like the power of neuroscience. And then from there, we start chipping away at, at what else is top of mind? What are some of those big challenges that they're facing now? And we do have a curriculum of, of videos and exercises that they'll go through as well. We can talk about in individual sessions, but <clears throat> it really is focused on what's most relevant now. Is that you're really struggling with your sleep? Um, is that you're, you're struggling with anxiety? You can't shut your mind off. Um, maybe you, you really first just wanna figure out how to be present with your family. Um, or you're really frustrated with coworkers and, and such. And so we, we give a, a different mental performance practice. We practice it together and then, you know, go through it week after week, just chipping away, chipping away the block, forming habits, and then ultimately just keeping that, that big dream, that big goal in mind the whole time. This gets me thinking a lot about vision boards, which you can kind of place yourself in those scenarios as you look at something visually, not just in your mind's eye. I, I have found that that's been a very useful mm -hmm. practice for me. It's been impressive um, in doing uh, that sort of work and also some uh, visioning, even writing out what it's going to be like, maybe even what it's going to feel like. I think that that's kind of a, a stretch sometimes to actually get into the feels. So that would be um, really interesting to be coached through. Um, I was recently reading um, around this idea uh, that, that the mind has a hard time discerning between what you imagine and what is real. True? Yeah, this is, this is a good one. The answer is quite tricky. Um, Andrew Huberman, he's the neuroscientist out of Harvard. If you never listened to his podcast, I highly recommend, but he speaks on this some where there's, it's a, it's a very close distinction between the phrasing basically. Cause at the end of the day, like your mind is smart. It knows like, did I just go win the Olympic trials and the marathon? Like in this moment, like my brain does know that I am in fact in this, in this state. Um, the difference though is, is our, 
our subconscious mind versus our conscious mind. And it's, it's the subconscious mind that when you can visualize something well enough, the brain um, does, doesn't know like, is it, did this happen or did this not, if you can form that network strong enough. Um, the way that I, to me, it's easier to present it to a client and actually practice and versus explain. Um, I walk people through, if you don't mind, if let's do like a quick 30 second example let's to demonstrate it. it. Yeah. Okay. So, so close your eyes and imagine that you're holding a slice of a lemon in your hand. Just look at the lemon. It's bright yellow color. You can feel the smoothness of the rind. And then bring it up to your face. Take a deep breath in and smell the citrus. And then open your mouth and take a big bite of the lemon. And just feel the juices squirting. You can taste the sourness. All right, now open your eyes. How did that feel? That was pretty cool. I've yeah, right? You're, you know, yeah, so you're kind of salivating and everything, but you know, in, inside, like you didn't actually bite into a lemon, but yet your mind is responding as if you did. So that's how visualization works. Oh, I love that. I love that. It, we had a guest on recently. Um, his name is Fleet Mall. And he has founded a number of institutes. He's an author, all kinds of amazing things. Um, he turned his life around with mindfulness. And um, while he was serving a long prison sentence, um, he has an interesting story. You have to listen to it. Um, he developed all kinds of mindfulness practices for uh, the inmates and um, in including um, providing some hospice care and programs that are now spreading across um, the United States is pretty powerful. But it's got me thinking about that it would be powerful to include something like this in his curriculum. So we're, we're gonna have to cross pollinate a little bit. I think that that could be kind of cool. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, because you think, you know, you may be, if you are, for instance, trying to practice mindfulness when you are incarcerated, um, being able to taste a lemon might be extremely refreshing, you know? Mm -hmm. So having things like that, that connect you, um, or if you just find yourself just kind of really isolated somewhere, uh, maybe on a desert Island somewhere, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> let's hope not, but you know, oh, that's kind of interesting and kind of form your own, your own reality with visualization. I like that. Thank you for leading mm -hmm. us in that, Anna. That was very cool. I'm wondering, this may be an obvious answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How has your background as an elite athlete prepared you for training high-performance business leaders? What I learned very early on when I started coaching at DreamFuel was that the challenges that people face are all the same whether you're a, you know, a, a freshman in high school and you're, you're nervous about your, your calculus exam or your 5k race, or you are 40 year olds, 40 years old, you're working to ultimately exit your company and you're facing all these challenges, building a team. Um, 
the the way people feel and the way people respond is is really quite the same. And so my experiences as an athlete um, with, I mean, the big challenges I, I face when, when you're a kid or you're an adult, you're an athlete, you're a business professional, um, it's everyone's own reality and something that's difficult for someone may be easy for another, but everyone's experienced that level within themselves at some point in time. And so for me, the, the rigor of being a student athlete, but also the discipline and the drive that I had to have the, the battles that I had with confidence and with focus and with motivating a team, all those things are the same challenges that an executive faces. They're different settings. And, you know, looking back at is my, a certain race in college, the same magnitude of exiting a company or something like that? No, but when you're in that time and that place, it will feel the same way for that person. Um, so it's helped me also meet people where they're at and draw those those parallels. But ultimately, there I've, I've been blessed to experience a, a lot of challenges that have helped shape my perspective. But I just really try to get to know the individual. Once I know the individual, I can I can connect with them and, you know, maybe share similar experiences, but ultimately just give them what they need in that moment, regardless of age or title. I understand what you're saying. Throughout our conversation, you've made a lot of comments that in my mind sounded very akin to mindful practices, Uh, but I'm wondering if we could get into this with more specificity. So I'm wondering what role mindfulness plays in your coaching. I can say on, on one end from the coach's perspective, when I'm going into a session, um, mindfulness is it's being present. It's at, at its very broad description, it's, it's being present. And so as coach, what am I doing to be present for the people that I'm coaching. This is my, my, my phone's away. Did I, I do something to prepare to recenter um, either early in the morning or right before I work with them. But then when I coach individuals as well, oftentimes we like to kick off with a little bit of breathing. And it's funny because I, it, 10 years ago, if anyone told me like, let's, let's kick off today with breathing, I probably would have rolled my eyes and just like, done it and kind of thought about something else the whole time. Which is um, strange because breath is life when you're a it runner. Is, <laughs> it is. It is. But to me, like the, I had a very uh, uninformed understanding of meditation and mindfulness. And so to me, I was like, eh, I don't need to do that. Um, but then once I understood this brain body connection and like actually experience how much you can, you can impact it. Um, it just makes sense, it, especially if someone's hopping on and I can tell they're just off of another meeting or they're a bit stressed. We pause and breathe because it you get get the heart rate down, get your mind relaxed, and they're better. You're better able to have a conversation with them. They're better able to think deeper about questions that are asked. 
be more creative in, in all sorts of aspects. So I can't say I do that 100% of the time, but we do try to kick off with, with some breathing. And then the more mindfulness practices, it, it, it's a little bit ad hoc based on what that individual really wants to grow in or focus on. Like um, sometimes we'll do some type of progressive muscle relaxation to work on emotion regulation. Um, sometimes it, we might talk about, uh, even like journaling for, for a variety of things, or I might walk them through a mindfulness, a quick mindfulness practice to give them something to implement in between in their two minute break in between meetings. Here's what you can do. Um, so it, it comes in such a variety of forms, but those are just a few examples. I like that. Um, so you you would define mindfulness as being present, Is being present without judgment. Ooh. That's that's the definition we use at Dream Fuel. Yep, yep. That's the hard part. That's the hard <laughs> part. I typically put that in parentheses for myself, but it is actually really part of the full definition. And so, how do you coach? your clients, do you call them clients? Is that the terminology yeah, you use? Yeah. Clients? Okay. Um, how do you coach your clients through the not judgment? Because I can imagine if you have high performance people, they're probably pretty hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. I would say most of the time, very driven, hard not to judge because I, probably they've built a lot of their career by having quick snap judgments. So how do you encourage the growth and yet not judge how do you find that seems like a super fine line it is it's it definitely takes more than one session of work I can say um one of the very early things that I'll start off with is understanding I guess me as a coach understanding but them as a client understanding their own inner critic and what I'll, I'll give them as a takeaway, again, usually very early on in coaching, I'll have them write down what those thoughts are. What is it that you're telling yourself? Yeah. And then we come back, uh, you know, two weeks later or give or take a week and I'll say, how was that? You know, what did you come up with? How was that experience? And almost always like, I cannot believe that. Uh, I say this, and when we think about what we would say to other people, if I said, hey, go read this list to your sister or, or whoever, um, how would they respond? Like, well, that's how we're responding when we say that to ourselves as well. And just getting bringing it to light so you, you are first aware. You have to be aware of what it is that you're telling yourself um, in the first place. And then we work on reframing it. What is it that you'd want to hear? What is it that you'd want to to tell yourself in those moments? We write those down. We um, read them, repeat them, meditate with them, etc. Um, but it to be present without judgment is you first have to acknowledge those thoughts. And sometimes the thoughts are a little bit ugly, um, but we're trying not to judge them. Um, and in order to, to help with not judging them. We also want to work to, to improve them. So that's where some of the reframing comes in, but 
um, the mind is an interesting place when you are, when you are left to, when it's left to its own. So it's, it can be uncomfortable for quite a few people at first, but this is something that also you see positive change pretty quickly. This has been a, a multi-year endeavor for me is the inner critic work, or as my coach likes to call, uh, call them, uh, it, it's one of the gremlins, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and in some ways that casts um, a, a pretty unsavory light upon this, this part of me. Um, but being aware of what it's saying to me is incredibly important. Um, one thing that I was recently encouraged by one of my coaches to do was to see myself as the observer and mm-hmm. uh, recognize that there is a critic that is trying to tell me something. And sometimes it's it's not trying to hurt me. It's actually trying to help me see something that I'm, I may not want to acknowledge. Um, so recognizing it, you said being aware of it, being mindful of what's being said to me from the inner critic is hugely important. But if I'm back here seeing the inner critic, that's one side. And then for me, I have a cheerleader on the other side. that's like, mm-hmm. go get it, aim. Right. And then there's the other side is like, oh, did you do spell check for the fourth time before you <laughs> sent it? How did you, how did you get that through? Um, so there's always that critic that's trying to help me be in, in some ways it can be overly perfectionistic, which is a hampering and tons mm-hmm. of judgment. But I think, um, my coach had mentioned this book to me and I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've, you've read it. I actually haven't yet, but I, I think I will, because it's about the same thing. I think the universe is telling me I need to look more into this, but the book is called, there are no bad parts. Mm-hmm. So I think because my coach has said, it's, it's part of all of me, you know, that's, I mean, the, the part of me that's being critical is still part of me. And I think that it's learning to kind of maybe transition. So things aren't so hurtful, (laughs) being able to interface with it, like to talk back and say, Hey, I would never say that to my sister, like you said. So what is a way that I could communicate the frustration or whatever the negative emotion might be in a way that is constructive? Mm Mm-hmm and embracing yeah. that part of myself. It's hard to embrace that part. Cause I just want to, you know, say or gesture unpleasant things to it because it's like, come on, get away from me. I don't want to hear those negative things, but it's all part of me and mm-hmm. pride. And, and I think the coach is kind of trying to get me to this place of like, you know, your inner critic probably has helped you become more successful than, than what you might have been had you not had an inner critic. And so you can't just mm-hmm. say, oh, I want my inner critic to be a cheerleader all of a sudden, because that's not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sense. It is. Oh, yes. Yes. And it's it is quite hard to get out the the judgment piece. And so I also I just in conversation, we try to it's funny us coaches will catch each other in it as well. But trying to just identify like, hey, let's, um, you know, change the way you you speak about it because it's again when we're trying to be present without judgment and you you say like well I I kept saying this thing to myself or I'm just I'm just so mad about it I'm just I you know I'm frustrated with this it's it's like okay let's 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 time stamp it uh separate from it and say like hey I'm feeling frustrated about this right now I'm feeling frustrated about this mistake 
that I made, what can I learn from it? So it's like changing that dialogue a little bit to make them um, like in a way that's curious. What can I, what can I learn from it? What can you add to the dialogue also? Because it's very hard not to judge, but changing like those small words can um, change the way you're, you're perceiving the situation. I'm going to use that. I absolutely adore timestamp it. Yeah. Because it's like, it's happening and it can happen in the past. You can just timestamp it and then move on, acknowledge it and move on. I love that. You don't know how deeply I love that. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Um, Tell me a little bit about your journey to mindfulness. It sounds like, you know, there for a while um, that maybe it didn't seem as important. It's like, Hey, I've got my running, you know, I have my go-to sorts of things and mindfulness is really just not for me. Come on people. I don't need to breathe. What, what changed for you? What really changed was my understanding of it because the truth of the matter was I had been doing these things for years and just didn't label it as mindfulness or meditation. Um, most, most apparently in my running, because it's it never, most, most runners like at the, at the professional level, but at the college level as well, you don't ever like listen to music when you're running. It's, it's just, you couldn't do that in high school practice and can't do it in college practice. I guess sometimes like we'd have it on the indoor track for workouts or something, but the majority of the time, it's you. And if you're with teammates, you know, you've, you've got them with you, but every runner is running by themselves, like a decent amount of time. And during that, you are in control of your thoughts and they can wander from thing to thing. Um, and so what I found was I, my mindfulness was really about like, what am I doing when I'm running where I'm shifting my focus and how is that impacting how I perform? So if I was out by myself for an hour and I'm just, I'm just doing a regular run. Like I let the mind wander. I I feel creative. I, I, I dive into that. Um, but if I was doing a hard workout or am doing a hard workout, I still do those. Um, and I'm starting to get really tired I'm not, if I keep thinking about how hard I'm breathing and listening to my breath, or if I shift my, my brain's focus to how tired my legs are, I'm just going to slow down. And so what I would do is I, I'd shift that focus intentionally and be present with a different thing. So, you know, maybe my legs are tired, but I'm not that out of breath, or maybe I am breathing really hard and my legs are tired, but I'm going to shift my focus to a point in front of me to focus on. And that was really when I I understood like, wow, changing the mind, changing your focus on, on specific things relaxes the rest of your body. And then bringing in breath work. um, I would remember like when I would start to feel anxious during a race or frustrated, I do a deep exhale just naturally Uh, people will catch themselves in this like toddlers do it when they're crying um or you know babies do it when they cry they like take that deep breath in um and and exhale and that's like the body's natural way of calming itself and so once i understood like okay gosh i have been using this 
in these ways and it's helped me so much in my running, I need to dive into this more. How can I be a little bit more intentional about it? And uh, once I understood it and how I used it, then I, I kept building on it from there. I like that. It is interesting how sometimes we have been doing things for a long while mm-hmm. and didn't realize that it had the label of being something that was a natural mindfulness activity. I'm curious, uh, you seem like a wildly dedicated human being, very <laughs> driven. So I love to hear about people's morning routines. Let's have it. Uh, yes. Um, see, to it's... I don't think I get up that early because I coach so many people that get up at like 4.30 or 5 a.m. I'm usually like a 5.30 a.m. person. So to me, I'm like, I'm (laughs) sleeping in. (laughs) Please. Um, So 5.20, 5.30, right around there. Um, I, I like to set two alarms that are like three, four minutes apart. And the first one goes off. I turn it off and I lay in bed awake and I start my day off with some gratitude. Um, oftentimes it, it, it can be a variety, um, sometimes like gratitude and prayer as well. And just spend a few minutes there before my second alarm goes off and then I get up. And so right there, I'm getting my mind into forming that abundance mindset going into the day. What is, what is it that I want to be looking at in my environment and focusing on in my environment? And then I, you know, get changed, get ready for my run. I run in the mornings, um, go grab some coffee. And then I will either do, I, I don't often have time for both of these, just given my um, time commitments towards running at the moment uh, in the mornings before work. They're just so many hours in, in the day. Um, so I'll either do some journaling um, to uh, intention setting for the day. Uh, my husband and I also do like to do devotional in the morning. So getting some something in my mind, either it's my thoughts on paper or it's something I'm taking in, but something that gets me to be intentional about my day and what it, what is it that I'm going to be looking for and, and um, caring about how I'm going to go about my day. And then I get into the run, uh, running it's it depending on the day of the week, it's a little longer or shorter, a little harder or easier. And then pretty much get back and uh, get ready quickly and get into my work day. But that, that exercise in the morning really, really gets me into the right frame of mind for coaching. That's so it's the, it kind of knocks the cobwebs out for me in the morning just to get, get the blood pumping. And I feel like you know, just have a lot more energy for what's the tasks at hand. I'm curious if you're training for anything. Sounds like you have some longer runs. Yeah. Um, it, the bigger one is the, the Olympic trials in February. Uh, they're in Orlando, Florida. I did qualify for them. Um, last, uh, I qualified the first time, I guess my first marathon, it was in 2021. So I, no, 2022. Sorry about that. Um, the years that I timeline of my brain is a little mixed up. So I did qualify. Those are coming up this coming February of 2024. Um, but leading into that, I'm planning on doing, uh, at least one half marathon beforehand. So, um, ideally 
the there's one in Indianapolis in October. I'd love to do that. Um, and then one more late December, early January. Excellent. Wow. And congratulations. <laughs> Can we take a moment and oh, just say, yeah. uh, wow, I didn't know that. You need to update your bio a little bit, lady. <laughs> uh, That's pretty great. How are you yeah. feeling about it? Let's get in touch with our emotions here. How are you feeling about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm just so grateful, honestly, is, is the biggest thing. Because I, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I made the decision, the very hard decision to end my running contract earlier than intended. Um, and I, I knew it was the right decision. It was, I have no doubt it was the right decision. Um, <clears throat> but that being said, it was also, there's like a lot of brokenness too. I had so many injuries and just not enjoying it, not loving it, um, really had to work to get that back. And to be able to come back and run healthy and enjoy it and have fun and kind of do it on my own terms, um, to be able to see that I can still do that while at the same time pursuing dream fuel or pursuing coaching and, you know, having, having a personal life and everything. Um, so to me, the Olympic trials is just like, yeah, I'm really excited about it. But man, it's just a huge blessing to be able to even just, um, there was, I really didn't know what, what it could, what the future would hold with running. And yeah, it's, it's a lot to be grateful for. So what did you qualify for? The, the marathon, the marathon. Okay. Yes. I got you. So how do you balance being mindful of injuries and pressing in? And I see that as a, you know, even in business, I mean, there are parts where it's like, man, this is an old injury, or this is something that hasn't got quite worked out. And, but we still have to keep pushing, even though maybe that process isn't perfect, or that person isn't quite yet up to where they need to be to finish out um, where we are at this juncture with the client. How do you do that? Because I mean, do you want to, I'm just going to shut up and let you say your thing. <laughs> It's not easy. It is not easy. Um, and it, that's what I, you know, I need my own mental performance coach. There's a, there's a lot to unpack from my past as well, because I did, I did, um, like my, some of the injuries that I had were just cause I, I pushed too hard and I didn't interpret that pain early enough. And so that, that's been a mental barrier to get to overcome myself is just getting over that assumption that this is, this is going to get you hurt. Um, which was part of why also I was saying just being able to run the Olympic trials has been so special. So I've been able to find, um, make some of those, those changes. Um, so yeah, there's not an easy answer to that. It's really about being in tune with the body and always questioning my own head voice. When I come in and I'm saying like, maybe you shouldn't do this today. I pause and I think, okay, why is that? Is that because this actually could get me hurt or is it, you know, maybe I just need to take an easy day and then we'll, we'll come back into it. So it's, it's a lot of questioning. What's my intuition telling me and is it actually correct? That's a good, that's a good way to go about it. Um, I'm curious how mindfulness 
has positively impacted your clients? Maybe there's a particular story where you saw mindfulness impact someone, um, or maybe just in general, either way. Oh, lots of stories, Amy, of how mindfulness has impacted uh, clients. There are so many that people have shared where they are just able to be more present with their families. And th that's so meaningful to me. But there's also one top of mind that just happened a, a few weeks ago with actually a young, a, a young athlete I coach. And she has just been so, so nervous before races. She's got, I, I coached her a few years ago and then she's been doing well is struggling again. So I'm, I'm coaching, working with her again. And she, the talent's there. She knows the talent is there. And it's just this anxiety and pressure, just really getting to her. And so we met and I, I talked about breathing and I said, let's, let's do, let's practice it together. We did paced breathing to the, I do a four count inhale and a six count exhale. Okay. And that longer exhale slows down your heart rate pretty quickly. And the counting helps focus the mind. And so I was like, all right, do this every day, the next week, try it before your race, come back in a week and, and see how it is. And she was just so excited the next week. She's like, I breathed before my race. And I, I think she like, she ran a PR. She was like, my thoughts were, were not negative. And I was so focused. And it was, it was like a complete 180 in just that one week, because her learning how to calm her physiology and focus her mind instead of like it wandering towards all the what ifs completely changed the outcome of the race. And that was, um, yeah, I just, I just love to see that. It makes me so happy to see, especially kids using it. That's wonderful. How, how old is your youngest client? Oh, she would be the youngest. She's 15 or 16. Wow. Wow. As you were talking about pace breathing, I was thinking, um, this seems like kind of a performance anxiety sort of practice, a mindfulness practice. And it definitely would be useful to business leaders. I'm thinking mm, about times mm -hmm. when I have new business presentations or all kinds of difficult discussions where I know I need to get in the right headspace and I need, and I recognize that my heart rate is up. I'm getting flushed. I'm getting nervous. My voice starts constricting. I know all I'm paying attention. I am mindful of what my physiology is telling me. I'm nervous, but breathing can help alleviate some of that. And so I'm thinking since this is something that could be wonderful, it obviously is wonderful for, um, for athletes and could be useful for business leaders. I'm wondering if you would lead us in the pace breathing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I also love this one because it's something that you can do in live time when you feel that coming on. People don't know, people can't see if you're doing those long exhales, it can appear normal. And so it's, you know, so much utilization out of that. But yeah, I'm happy to lead it. All right. So I just say start by sitting comfortably um, or, you know, if, if you're standing, that's okay too. If you're in a place where you can close your eyes, go ahead and gently close your eyes. Move your attention to your face. Really try and relax all the muscles in your face. 
moving down to your shoulders, releasing any tension there, and then relaxing your stomach, just really letting it hang and relax. Now my count, we're gonna start breathing in through the nose, just smooth and controlled. Breathing in, two, three, four, and gently out. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in, two, three, four, out. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in, two, three, four, out. Two, three, four, five, six. And go and count at your own pace for a few moments. We'll do one more cycle. And then keeping your eyes closed, you can resume normal breathing. Still relaxing the face and the stomach. Then when you're ready, go ahead and open your eyes and come back to present. And a physical sensation of just kind of water, you know, going down. That's how it felt in my body. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very quick response. And that was just, that was just about two minutes there. One of my favorite things about mindfulness practices that you can use them in the moment. They're always available to you. And mm -hmm. most of them don't take very long at all. <laughs> right. Absolutely. To take you from hair on fire to I've got this. So yeah. And it, it gives us that pause too, between like the, the emotion the, the physiological feeling and that emotion that comes with it. And then how you respond that gives you, it helps you then be able to think for a moment how you really want to respond. And uh, it's quite helpful. Absolutely. I, I love that one. I am wondering if you have an ideal client. Yeah, our ICP is uh, really, I mean, executives and founders, we primarily work in the tech space right now, but it's not, wouldn't it be exclusively there and high growth, high growth startups and sales teams are really our ICP. Excellent. And I assume this is kind of um, an ongoing bit. It seems like maybe you have some short-term get to know you sorts of packages, but then also um, obviously coaching tends to need to go on for a good while. Mm -hmm. So are there opportunities in both spaces, whether just we've got this hump to get over or we need something kind of indefinitely? Yes. So our intent is to make coaching ongoing. 
that might mean you start off and you're like, man, I, I need this every week. Um, and after, a few, uh, you know, three, six months, it's, um, uh, maybe it cuts down to every other week or even monthly or so. Um, so it's, it's as needed for the client, but we always start off first with a demo visualization to learn about dream fuel, but to get to experience some of, some of our tools and get to know a coach. And then from there, we, it's a three month minimum contract and then it's month to month after that. Okay. That's great to know. Um, I think we've already kind of gone through all of what attracted you to what you're doing and all of the mindfulness activities that you're working with folks on. I feel like at this point, what would be most useful is to hear about offerings that you have. I know you've talked about, you know, kind of the get to know you sort of package, but we've, and also kind of the long-term and how that might morph over time. Are there any other offerings or um, projects that you want to talk about at this point? Yes. The other, I I'd suppose the other maybe bucket of uh, that we work with, like I said, it's, it's a lot of executives and leaders, but then the team aspect. And so it's, it, we love getting to come in and, and really work with a company. Um, we typically do that by starting to work with the leaders first for a few months so they can get to know us. They build that, that relationship and that buy-in and then bring it then to their team. So we'll do group coaching and then coach individuals, typically maybe the leaders within that group will get one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. And that's, we've seen that, uh, really help build company culture, which is it, you know, I care so much about, I, I don't work at the company, but I care about the way people feel and the way that they, their performance, their well-being, et cetera. Um, so it's been really neat to see the way that companies have, have enjoyed that benefit from seeing that their, their company values their mental performance, their mental health in those ways. And, um, giving it to them as, as a benefit. And ultimately it, it benefits them too, because then they, uh, they tend to perform uh, better as well and, and avoid burnout and enjoy it. Excellent. It's good to know. I, yeah. We've talked a lot about the, the leadership, but having the team aspect is also mm -hmm. very important. Um, I'm wondering where folks can learn more about dream fuel. What, what's kind of the, the first the first step in getting to know more? Yes, we uh, can always check out our website, dreamfuel.com. And also following us and our, our coaches on LinkedIn. Uh, Kevin, our CEO, Kevin Bailey, has so many different posts that give you a great feel for what we value as a company, some of the practices we do, and um, can see lots of testimonials from our clients as well. But all of us, uh, we try to keep engaged there to give a give a an idea of the impact and maybe get you to think a little bit differently. And um, you know, even even if you didn't end up getting coached, hopefully you can pull something from there to use in your life as well. But uh, I'd say dream dreamfield.com and LinkedIn for sure. And I will attest that I love following Kevin on LinkedIn. He provides some just extremely valuable 
information, reflections. Um, as a business leader myself, it it's just kind of a, a breath of fresh air to read what he has to read and how it applies to his life. He's usually um, quite personal. And so you get to see it, how it's applied um, in his own life, which is mm-hmm. very powerful. So I'm very grateful to him and your team's work. Um, I'm wondering if at this juncture, if you would like to join me in the glowy daily reflection practice. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, so the glowy daily reflection practice is an original practice that I developed for my book, the chaos antidote, a fable about mindfulness in its companion workbook. And it's something that I do at least once a day. A lot of times in the morning, you're talking about setting the alarms. I might take that, um, as something for my morning schedule. So you, you're giving me some, some coaching in this, this session as well. Um, but it's also something a lot of times, um, I'll do in the evening with my daughter and it's just a really beautiful practice for us to both kind of bond and calm down from the day. And she more or less demands it. So (laughs) that's kind of how the day has to end. Um, but sometimes it's written kind of like you said, I mean, some days it's like, I will, I will think it while I'm sitting some days I'll write it out and um, both seem to be equally, um, useful to me. So um, glowy is an acronym. The G stands for grateful L for lift up the things that need resources. O for observe, which we have done a lot of observing today and talking about that. The W is for wholesome intention. We didn't really get too much into intention setting. Um, but I know that that is an undergirding of probably a lot of what you do. And, um, the Y is for you are, which is, um, a positive affirmation to send you off into your day. So we'll start with, with the G for grateful. What is something you're grateful for? Oh, that's always a hard question because there's too much to, <laughs> to narrow down. I am grateful for living in Indiana and having the changes of all four seasons. It's fall and my favorite time of year right now. Oh, it is gorgeous here at the moment. The L stands for lift up. So is there something in your life that might need resources or um, attention or perhaps in someone else's life who's dear to you? Yeah, we, uh, between my husband and I, we've had a lot of friends and family members that have recently had babies, which is wonderful and exciting and such a gift, um, but also poses quite a challenge that comes with it. So I, I think about some of those specific people that could use Lift It Up. And if you have anyone in your life that maybe just had had a baby, uh, reaching out and seeing how you can help. I like that. Twice in the last week and in podcasts and books that I've been listening to, um, there has been a quote that said, pray with your feet moving. And I I think once it was attributed to maybe an African proverb and another one was to, I think the Quakers. Um, But I think that that's a beautiful kind of vignette of what it means to pray with your feet moving. (laughs) So acknowledge it and then get to work. (laughs) Yes. someone. So thank you for that. The W is for wholesome intention. So what is your wholesome intention? Uh, Wholesome intention is to be completely present and attentive to all the people that I'm speaking with. There's so many distractions in a day and I know how much I value people's attention. Um, So that would be mine. Just really really being there with every person. Last one is you are. So you get to say something lovely about yourself. Anna, you are. 
Uh, Anna, you are resilient. What a great note to end on. Anna, it's been such a joy to have you on this podcast today. I've learned so much. I hope the guests have as well. And um, I just hope that you have a wonderful time. Uh, where are you going for the, the qualification race? It's in Orlando, Florida. Okay. In February, is that what you said? In February, yes. In February. Well, I wish you all the best. I will keep you in my lift ups because Thank you. I, I want to see you do well. Um, and I hope that that brings a lot of joy to your heart. And um, so thank you again. And um, today's episode is sponsored by Good Aim Communications. If you'd like to learn more about this digital marketing agency and what it can do for you, visit goodaimcommunications.com. From my heart to yours, may you live with ease. This is your host, Amy Morgan, signing off.